Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Last week, I started talking about what I call the Triple Crown Transformation. Attaining the Triple Crown is a rare accomplishment, whether it's in horse racing or in baseball, and I shared last week what those are. I'm just curious, how many of you decided to watch the Kentucky Derby this past Saturday after hearing about it? We were out, so I ended up watching it on my daughter-in-law, I like to call her my daughter-in-love. We watched it on her phone sitting in Chick-fil-A. The race was crazy, and it made horse racing history. There was a horse named Rich Strike. I know they named them all these crazy names, right? He was added to the race literally 30 seconds before the deadline on Friday, before the race on Saturday. And he came in to replace a horse that was being pulled from the race. So this horse, Rich Strike, had the lowest odds of placing anything at all, much less winning. Well, Rich Strike was one of the last five horses for almost the entire race. In fact, when I rewatch it, several times he was so far back the camera didn't even show him. The race was way more than half over. When the jockey started moving the horse up, weaving him in and out of the horses in front of them, and as they reached the final stretch, Rich Strike pulled out into the top three and kept going to win the race by three quarters of a length. Like I said, it was crazy. He just came out of nowhere. And he wasn't even a name that came out of the announcer who was calling the race until those last few seconds when he suddenly pulled into the top three. You heard last week why I enjoy watching the Derby each year, and this one was really fun. And in case you're wondering, I was rooting for number five, Smile Happy. I liked the name, and the number was green, which was Becca's favorite color. So that's, I just picked my horses in crazy ways like that. And he came in eighth place. Now Rich Strike is preparing for the Preakness Stakes, which is the second race of the Triple Crown. And then the third race is the Belmont Stakes. And starting in 1919, there have only been 13 horses who have won the Triple Crown, winning all three of those races, which shows you just how rare it is. Unfortunately, the Triple Crown is also a rare accomplishment in our lives as Christians, and it can be especially difficult after the death of our child. What is the Triple Crown for a follower of Christ? Well, I think it's learning, one, how to clarify God's vision for our lives, including being released from our paralyzing grief that keeps us from going forward, which I call see the crown. Then second, it's how to live from a place of being in Christ, which I say is wear the crown. And I talked about both of those last week. If you did not listen to last week's episode, which was number 157, Our Crown as a Perever, you might want to go back to that one first before continuing this one. And I'll also put a link to last week's podcast episode in the show notes. This week, I want to share the third crown, which is how to live from a deeper revelation of the identity of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in me, in you. 
Isaiah 62 verse 3 says, you shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. I used to do a lot of traveling, both nationally and internationally, as a children's minister that trained others who ministered to children, and I directly ministered to children. And while I was gone on one of my trips, my daughter Becca was admitted back into the hospital for a routine IV treatment to help her body get rid of too many fluids with her heart condition. When I arrived home, I went straight to the hospital from the airport to visit her, and we spent a couple of hours together. I went home, I made supper for the family and unpacked, and something didn't feel right. So I hopped in the car to head back to the hospital, which was over an hour away. Before I got there, her husband called on my cell phone to say that Becca's heart had given out and they were unable to get it started again. So I ended up arriving at the hospital to see her body instead of visiting her. She went to her eternal home to be with Jesus and dance on two legs on October 12th, 2011. And even though I knew without a doubt she was in heaven and I will join her someday, the death of my child took me to a very dark place. And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. The blackness and the depression I found myself in was scary, and there's no way we can put words to it, can we? I began to hear from other parents who had lost a child, like online or in books, that I would never recover. I would never be able to get past this darkness, that it would define who I am as a person now. But that was just unacceptable to me. I knew I had the God of hope living inside me. I knew somehow God had to be bigger than this horrible black pit I found myself thrown into. And God began to slowly bring me to that place of hope and healing that I needed to get out of this darkness, although I will never be the same person I was before Becca's death. When a child leaves this earth before a parent does, it's like part of you dies with them. It's like an amputation. Part of you is always missing. But it is possible to learn how to live with that part of you missing and not only live, but to thrive and to still live out a God-given purpose and destiny. You need to realize the death of your child did not blindside God like it did you and like it did me. Believe it or not, the worst tragedy of my life brought one of my greatest revelations. For quite a while after Becca died, I could only see myself as a mom who had lost her child. The intense grief was suffocating. My huge loss did become what I allowed to define me as a person. The first year was such a fog. The second year, the fog started to lift, which actually caused even more intense pain as the reality that my daughter was no longer here on earth started to hit really hard. The third year became a painful resignation of trying to figure out who I am with that piece of my life stripped from me. Since everything was such a blur for so long, I can't tell you when it happened, but by the grace of God, I finally had a breakthrough of understanding that my identity was not tied to my circumstance of being a grieving mother. And also by the grace of God, that started to release an even deeper revelation that my identity is not based on anything but who Christ is in me, that hope of glory. You see, most of us 
have somewhat of a grasp that we are in Christ. But I think it's more rare to hear anyone talk about how we also need to live from the revelation that God in all of his glory is living inside of us. We were created to be carriers of the glory of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, man could no longer contain God's glory. And when Jesus came to earth, God's dwelling place at that time was on the mercy seat behind the veil of the temple in Jerusalem. It actually started behind the veil of the tabernacle. Tabernacle means dwelling place. Before Jesus came, once a year, blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat, a sacrifice to purify it for God's resting place on earth to be with mankind. God's glory was limited to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. But God did not want to stay behind a curtain away from the people he created, and he longed to be in an intimate relationship with them individually, one-on-one. And when Jesus died, his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven once and for all because the temple and the tabernacle were a picture of what's in heaven. So Jesus's blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the actual mercy seat in heaven once and for all on our behalf. God's glory no longer had to remain behind a curtain, which is why when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. God himself tore that curtain. We are no longer separated from God by a curtain and by all these animal blood sacrifices. Those who accept the work of the blood of Jesus are seen as righteous, right with God, not because we do the right things, but because we are in relationship with him. And God's spirit can dwell or tabernacle inside us. We are now the temple where God's spirit rests. And that is incredible. That means we don't have to try to reach out there somewhere trying to get a hold of God. When we believe in the price Jesus paid for us on the cross, his spirit comes to live or dwell inside us. So now we only have to quiet ourselves and listen to him from within our own spirit, allowing his peace that is already inside of us to be released. I can live from a place of rest. Even though my soul is in pain, my spirit can be at a place of rest, knowing that God is inside me and he will comfort me and he will guide me with his wisdom and his loving kindness. God has so much to say to us, to you and to me, especially in our place of of grief and pain. And much of it has to do with who he is inside us and how to live from that place of rest and identity in him. It isn't about what's happened to me or what I do or don't do. It's all about who I am. I am a carrier of the very presence and glory of God himself. In order to go forward in the fullness of God's identity in us, we have to let go of our own identity. How do we do that? One way is to do something God told us to do. He said to be still and know that I am God. That's Psalm 46 verse 10. Some translations will say something like stop striving. 
Some of us might hesitate to do that because we're afraid God wants to tell us everything we're doing wrong. But God says in James 2, 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Think about this. Out of all the attributes of God, all the characters of God, which one did he choose to be his dwelling place in the tabernacle? He chose mercy. He was resting on a mercy seat. He could have chosen a judgment seat, that his glory and his presence was on a judgment seat, but he didn't. His glory came down on earth and rested on a mercy seat. Or we might struggle to be still and know that he is God because we think that's letting him off the hook and we want to be mad at him for what happened. I truly believe more than anything, he just wants to love on us. But we won't know that for ourselves until we come to him in the stillness within our hearts to hear him speak to us. And it might not be words in our mind, but to feel his presence and to just be aware of him with us, in us, around us, and for us. The more aware we become of his spirit living fully in us, the less aware we become of our own broken identity. Let me ask you something. When you go to the feet of Jesus, where do you see yourself? Do you picture yourself at the cross at his feet? Well, that is a place of forgiveness which has already been given to us. Jesus isn't on the cross. He is sitting on a throne at the right hand of God the Father. In Hebrews 12, 2, we find that out. And we're told in Ephesians 2, 6 that that is where we are seated as well. We are seated in heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And when I started seeing myself at the feet of Jesus at the throne which is where he is now, it put me in a totally different place of identity. His throne is a place of glory, a place of power, a place of authority, majesty. This earth may be the enemy stomping ground right now, but Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end, and he has the final word on everything. In looking at Isaiah 62.3, which is the verse I read just a few minutes ago before I shared about my own daughter's death, it says, you shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. And I've asked myself, why is the crown in his hands? Because usually you picture a crown on somebody's head, right? Well, I believe it's so that he can place us where he wants us so that he can put us in his place of choosing to help us, to comfort us, to guide us, and to be where we need to be here on this earth based on the things that come our way and come at us and try to take us out. If you and I are living from a place of true kingdom identity, we will eventually be okay with that because there's so much freedom in living from a place of surrendering to God's plans. For all of my adult life, I have told God to do whatever he wants to do to get me where he wants me to be. I have taken that seriously, telling Jesus that he is Lord and master of my life. And some of you may have heard me share this, but many years ago, I was praying about a situation I wanted God to fix. And he asked me, I heard him just the question in my heart, in my mind, which prayer do you want me to answer? And I had to ask him, what do you mean, God? 
And what I heard in my heart come back to me, the words, he replied, you've always told me to do whatever I wanted to do to get you where I wanted you to be. What if I want to use your situation right now to answer that prayer? So do you want me to answer the prayer you've been praying for years? Or do you want me to answer this prayer right now in this fix-it situation? And I did surrender, and I told him to do what he wanted to do to get me and my family where he wanted me and us to be. And that is the key to being the crown, learning to fully surrender, trusting his plan over my own, no matter how much it hurts. I hope you can see how the Triple Crown transformation can help you find yourself living a life of meaning and purpose again. You can experience and live in the depths of God's love, being released from the chains and torments of what has happened with the loss of your child from this earth. I am living proof that you don't have to be stuck between your past and your future, between what was and what is. You can be full of God's love and even be content once again, knowing your value doesn't come from what has happened to you or what you do or did or don't do, or even from being a mom or dad and having that taken from you. You can know your value comes from who you are in God and who God is in you. You can still have purpose and destiny here in this life and learn how to live in a place above the suffocating grief, giving the enemy a black eye for what he brought into the world that affected you so painfully and deeply. My learning how to live out the purpose of these triple crowns, vision and authority and identity has been a process. It's still a process and it will continue to be a process until I leave this earth. Just like I did, you can see the crown, wear the crown, and be the crown. If you've heard more than one episode of the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast, you know how I end each one with an acronym for the word hope. Say it with me. Hold on. Pain eases. There is hope. A year ago, we wanted to make some shirts available for our listeners with that saying on them, and we planned on doing it just for the month of April for Becca's birthday, but we were able to make them permanent. And since I haven't talked about them for a while, I did last week, and I'll bring it up again this week, I thought I would let our newer listeners know about them. We have long sleeve tees, short sleeve tees, wicking tees, hoodies, pullovers, all kinds of shirts, and they're all in various colors. So to take a look and place an order, just go to our website, gpshope.org, click on the store tab, and then go to the, it's called Hope Merchandise. I'll also put a link in the show notes that will take you directly to the page that shows all the different selections. And now let's go ahead and go on to our birthdays. Michael Slater was born on May 8th and is forever 26. Ashley Pekarik was born on May 10th and is forever 24. Sarah Wilbur was born on May 10th and is forever 34. Sydney Cisse was born sleeping on May 11th. Jack Randall Whitaker was born on May 12th and is forever 37. Adon Razel 
was born on May 13th and is forever 18. We know how important our child's birthday will always be to us, and we celebrate with these families the day these children came into the world. If you would like to have your son or daughter announce the week of his or her birthday, I would be honored to do so. Just go to gpshope.org birthdays, fill out the info, including how to pronounce the name if it's different than it looks, because I want to say their name correctly, and then hit the submit button. I want to go back to talking a bit about this year's Kentucky Derby race. Now hang in here with me. One headline I read about this race said Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike, who had 80 to 1 odds of winning, scores massive upset as biggest underdog champion since 1913. In one place, I read this description of the race. Now remember, the horses' names are all interesting. It said, Summer is tomorrow, led the race at first, but Crown Pride jumped ahead at the three-quarter mile mark. Epicenter and Zandon then burst to the front in what looked to be a two-horse finish until Rich Strike came out of seemingly nowhere to pass them both. The race was so wild, one has to see it to believe it. Here's something from a CBS News article. How did Rich Strike pass so many horses? Two answers. He ran by some, and some, as they say in racing, stopped running. Technically, that last part isn't true. All 20 horses were running when they crossed the finish line. Nobody stopped. But some simply ran out of gas, meaning their all-out sprints had become little more than a gallop or a jog. Rich Strike had tons of fuel left. He also had one other major advantage. He was near the rail. It's simple math. The closer one is to the rail, the shorter of a distance one has to run. Most of the contending horses, as the leaders turned into the stretch and headed home, were fanned out wide across the track, moves that made their trips a bit longer. This is where Leon, who was the jockey riding the horse, had a huge decision to make. He had to get around Mesure, one of the early leaders who was fading fast. Leon decided to veer slightly to his right and get around Mesure, then drove back down toward the rail to finish Rich Strike's run. It was almost as if nobody saw him coming. They saw him at the end. That's all that mattered. I'm reading and sharing these things here at the end because I hope you can see the parallels to our own race as Perivers. If you didn't catch any parallels, anything there, I suggest you rewind the ending here and listen to it again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your race for the Triple Crown through this very unusual winning upset toward a Triple Crown. And I find it interesting that it just happened to happen (laughs) the week that I was recording these two podcasts. I think there's some things there for all of us. So I want to encourage you, see the crown, wear the crown, be the crown. And as you continue to run your race, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.